Uh, in the meantime, we we're, we welcome you back. We've got um, we've got a lot of listeners out there, and we have some questions for you, uh, which we uh, want to pose to you. Uh, things that people had wanted to know about uh, last from the last time you were on. But I have to ask you something. This is the best. They just released new video of supposed Flight 77 hitting the Pentagon. Now you fully believe a 757 hit the Pentagon, don't you? Oh, sure. <laughs> But, you know, uh, you talk a lot, uh, you speak to uh, psychological ops on people around the world for, for over, you know, a century. We know that it goes on. But, uh, Alan, this one i got to tell you. I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm saying, has it gotten this base? I'm looking at this new video. It's the same damn thing. Uh-huh. But, you only, but this time they run it three times. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What? And it says, you know, it says, will this put an end to conspiracy theories? And the only thing that tells me is, they're running scared of the fact that people know nothing happened there. Well, something happened there, but it didn't involve Flight 77. Am I right or wrong? Well, that would be it. Uh, There's just too much evidence to, uh, as far as wreckage goes, etc. Yeah, so I mean, we're seeing the same thing again, and I'm saying to myself, are you serious? I mean, show me something different. It, it's the same thing. I mean, this is this is just pathetic. Mm-hmm. Hey, all right, be that as it may. Listen, we, we're really glad that, you, that you're with us. And uh, despite all that takes place, uh, would you mind coming back on, say, Thursday the 25th? Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me something to look forward to. Hello, everybody out there. <laughs> all right, well, listen, we have a, a couple of questions. you mind fielding? Sure, on you go. And then uh, I'd like to talk to you about Tavistock and the Beatles because I... I took a look into a conspiracy hierarchy because I knew that Coleman had spoken to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you know what he said? I, I know a little bit of what he said. Uh, I know that he uh, also found out that the, the rights, the copyrights to the songs uh, had been owned okay. by Adorno. All right, yeah, and I, I told you I knew he had said something, and then uh, I took a look and, uh, yeah, corroborate. So it'll be interesting at the end, but let's get to the business first because people have been good enough to ask these questions, and I, I would like like you to respond to them. First of all, we have uh, someone that writes, um, let's see, uh, the next time you interview Mr. Watt, could you ask him to elaborate on what we perceive as, quote, our culture? Without going into detail, I think that this is where Mr. Watt diverges from the usual conspiratorial view. He believes that we have never really had a culture of our own. Okay. So how, so, uh, how do you speak to that, Alan? I, I think when you study the Greek uh, classics, the philosophers, and especially the writings of Plato, uh, where he talked about how culture is created uh, by the elite to the top, downwards. It doesn't come from the grassroots. Because anything from the grassroots developing could upset the whole balance of power structure. So uh, culture is always promoted from the top down. And... uh, it was so bad in ancient Greece, in fact, that, that when traveling players came in uh, with theater shows and plays and dramas, uh, it was law that everybody had to attend because through the drama, uh, they would indoctrinate the viewers on the politically correct way to behave in society. So here's another case, and you're saying, of entertainment being used to uh, mind up the populace. Yes, and back in the 1960s, Uh, There was a Council on Foreign Relations and Royal Institute of International Affairs meeting held in England where, in the big debate at the time, it went on for about a month, 
and it was in the newspapers, was uh, who should be given the right to create the culture for the coming new world order. Uh, Britain, with its British uh, MGM, MG Studios at London, I think it was, and um, or, or Hollywood. And at the end of it, they decided that, that America was best suited uh, with its setup in Hollywood to create a world culture. And then, uh, plus the addition, they did put the music out too, which would influence the young. So culture is, is a plastic thing. It's fluid in a sense. It can be shaped uh, in the direction that the, the elite, who always make a plan way ahead uh, of time, uh, they make it plastic so that they can shape us towards the, their next part of their agenda. And, and in fact, Plato said that um, we can change all of the moral values within a culture within one generation, and the last people to notice are those involved. And if you think back to the 60s, when um, in one year they're all wearing uh, skirts down to their knees, or below even, and then suddenly the miniskirt came in through, again, television and go-go dancing and music, um, and you compare that that generation to their mothers, then their mother to their grandmother, and if there's a skirt uh, at the ankles, then there's a skirt below the knee, and then there's a one up around the, you know where. So uh, that was all within one generation, really, that happened. Well, of course, we would chalk that up to being fashion and fads, but it doesn't make a difference what you call it or in which way it. Uh... Well, Plato said that, that to create culture and alter culture, you must have an, an entertainment, and he called it industry. Uh, and you must have a fashion industry. This is 2,300 years ago. And you must have a music industry. So it's never changed. Uh, by the way, could you cite uh, from which work that came? Was that the Republic? That was the Republic, yeah. That's an interesting, interesting, interesting yeah, book. Yeah. Um, well, well, then you're then you're saying that culture is malleable; it's plastic. Mm-hmm. Then it is necessarily, though, isn't it all-encompassing as well? Absolutely, we are what we think, and what they give us what they think, and uh, and we behave appropriately. Uh, it's, it's very, it's not too difficult to manage people once you give them a particular type of culture. And of course, America was given extra heavy doses of religion, really, um, for a particular reason, the reason being that they would truly believe in their country because they were chosen to bring in the New World Order. Well, they wouldn't call it that, but... So what, how did they perceive the New World Order at the time? They certainly wouldn't have coined it as such. What did they think? I mean, we, we do know they called it New World, etc., etc. Well, if you read the, the, the memoirs of Franklin and Jefferson... Both of them said that this was the, the beginning of a world federation, not just a federation of United States of America, but it would, it would be the retail world federation, which would eventually be led by 12 wise men. You know, we may have spoken about this a while ago, and if we have, I'm sorry. I, I don't know that you remember. I know that I don't. But in a way, the joke was on us in the United States in the sense of as much as many of us now get it and are resisting what we consider the NWO. <laughs> In essence, the enemy, the enemy is, is us. In other words, yeah. this was an experiment in, in Federation and the New World Order. Definitely. Definitely. They, they needed a, a knight in shining armor that hadn't plundered the planet like as, as England had done, or, or France, or Spain, or whatever. And so they created a, a, a new knight in shining armor that pretended to be indifferent uh, to the old ways. 
and with the champion um, righteousness type of thing. And of course, in, in the early 1900s, uh, they had many meetings in England to do with handing the torch over to the Americas as the, the, the army or police of the world. And that's why Kipling wrote the poem uh, containing the lines, the, the white man's burden, we pass the torch on to you. And Kipling came over, he was a very high mason, and he came over and read that to the Senate. Well, you know, I, as a kid I, I read some of that stuff about him, and I said, man, this sounds racist. A little, you know, Sambo and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But nobody seemed to raise a big thing about it, so it's like, well, it must be my imagination. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that white burden statement also comes up with Rhodes and that whole, uh, in Milner's kindergarten group, you know? That's right. It's all connected together. <laughs> well, and then, all right, a couple things real quick, um, and we'll go on to another question, but as derivatives of what this individual uh, asked you about culture, um, was it a coincidence that we have 13 states and the district was made not a state so they get plopped down a new obelisk? There's no coincidence at all. Is that in some kind of um, symbolistic reflection of uh, the story of uh, Isis and Osiris? Yeah, it's a symbol of regeneration. And, uh, of course, the story of of, uh, uh, Osiris being scattered into, there's actually 14 parts. There's 14? But they never found the 14th. Right. So, So Isis conjured up. Uh, an artificial one, so 13 still stands is the number of regeneration. And so the 14th, uh-huh. the 14th territory, which was called a district, not a state, winds up with the obelisk. Exactly. The, the magic creation, you see. And of course, the the District of Columbia, Columbia in Latin means, means actually uh, the dove. Um, and, and the dove was always a symbol coming down with spirit from the heavens. Right. Uh, even from the days of ancient Egypt. So it's, uh, it's all highly symbolic. How do, we, uh, how do we look, though, at the fact that, all right, uh, if um, the old world <coughs> excuse me, was willing to um, let the new world spawn off and become the beginning of a new world order, how do we look at um, uh, Britain and the American Revolution? In other words, were they fighting? I've heard it said that, that, that England wasn't all that pitched about it. Uh, one of the reasons uh, were that perhaps um, there were too many Freemasons on both sides so who wanted to kill who. Uh, but I'm asking you now then, what do we make of the fact that Britain came over and, and well, not didn't come over, but it gave some kind of military resistance? Uh, how does that fit into the scheme about, you know, allowing us it to become... It's like all things in history. See, it must be real to the people. They have real wars to convince the people that this is all real and people must really die. Okay. But when you really figure it out, it's worked out ahead of time. Cornwallis, if you read even Cornwallis's memoirs, he was all for the independence of the colonies. And he spoke up in the British Parliament. He was a member of, of the Parliament uh, from a long line of aristocracy. Do you remember his rationale then? Yeah, he believed that, that uh, Britain would spawn off, um, well, today we would say clones of itself. Uh, ones in the sameness of Britain with the same types of laws and democracy. 
Plumbing, HVAC, and electrical contractors on Service Titan put up big numbers. How big? In their first two years on Service Titan, contractors typically see a 17% increase in revenue, a 9% increase in average ticket size, and a 10% increase in call booking rates. They also average a 4.7 out of 5 stars on customer review sites. Add it all up and the answer is clear. When solving for profitability, productivity, and growth, Service Titan is an essential part of the equation for contractors like you. Learn more today at ServiceTitan.com. That's ServiceTitan.com. Individual results may vary. Etc. And, um, and and so he spoke out uh, really against any interference. And even though he'd done that, he was chosen to lead the war against the Americas. And I think it was because they pulled him in at the top and says, "Don't worry, this has to happen to convince the world that this is a, an independent country." It was part of the plan. <laughs> okay. So so in other words, once again, we have a war. That's more about persuasion than it is really conviction. Absolutely. And it had to convince the people. Uh, it's like mind control that uh, Aldo Huxley said. He said, um, those under mind control have no idea that they're, that they're under it. And, and it's the same thing when you condition people that they've actually won a war and, and that they're free and they're working for themselves and in the most free country in the world, they put 100% of their work into their work, of their labor into their work, as opposed to the Soviet system where everyone knew that a bunch of the elite were living high on the hog while they lived in poverty at the bottom. So they put nothing into their work and get shoddy workmanship, etc. But in America, they truly believed that they were doing it for themselves. All right, last question about this then, because I've never really thought about it before, and of course I'm asking you now. Um, and if you have any information to this effect, we know that there were mercenaries used by uh, Great Britain in that war. Now I'm wondering if it's one they didn't really want to get too messy about. Do you know how much percentage of the troops over here were non-British, besides Hessians and such? Uh, it's hard. To, it's so hard to tell because... Um, King George himself really came from Germany, and uh, the Sachs Coburg Gotha family, uh, that was three different princedoms they had, and they called themselves Sachs Gotha, uh, Coburg Gotha. Uh, they, they brought in most of the troops actually from Germany. They did bring in some uh, recent recruits from the Highlands of Scotland because uh, they forbid you to wear the kilt after the Culloden Battle of 1746. And they forbid you to speak your own Gaelic language unless you join the British Army. And so they used a lot of Scots there as well as cannon fodder. Mm. Um, but yeah, they had a, had a mass of, of the Hessian troops for sure. But they also employed uh, mercenaries from all over Europe. Well, would that, would, would that make sense? I mean, to me now, as, as we were talking this out, I said to myself, well, okay, if in fact you wanted to uh, make it look good, but you didn't necessarily want to waste your own best blood, why not enlist those from other nations? Yes, and also it's, it's well recorded in Masonic books that oftentimes when the, the two sides were coming towards each other through the forest, uh, they'd give the Masonic uh, uh, signals to each other and literally look the other way and pass each other by. That happened quite often, and they'd visit each other's camps often too at night and have lodge meetings. Uh, you know, but you know what you say is really true. I mean, we hear so much about war as being a John Wayne thing time and time again, and no doubt it is. You know, there's killing, no doubt. But there are times when, when you know, you know, I heard it, Alan, from from uh, parents of of my my friends who were uh, once.
once once in a while, maybe uh, loosened up a little bit by drink. Talked about you know being in the trenches over in Europe and running into a German or something like that, and looking at each other and going, "We really don't have to do this." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it makes sense, though, doesn't it? It does. Uh, all right, all right. <laughs> it does. Uh, I know that in World War One, when they were they'd run out with so many of the young because they were throwing in whole battalions. Uh, every day across the field who were getting mown down in 15 minutes with machine gun fire and they weren't allowed to lie down or crawl or anything they had to walk into all this hail of machine gun fire they'd lost so many of the young and uh, eventually there was a sort of stalemate where nothing much was happening in the trenches because it was the older guys that were generally left mm-hmm. and the older guys didn't want to fight neither side all right. so they'd, the ones that they did fire in the air and they'd all do their thing and, and they're all quite happy so it, it was mandated in Canada and Australia to, to recruit the young very quickly and to get them really fired up to kill. And then they sent them over to the trenches to get the killing going again. Reminds you of that song, When Will They Ever Learn? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to let everybody know also, we have Alan Watt with us. This is the Vis- uh, this is the This is the Grassy Knoll as well. And if you want to do, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, Excuse me, I'm going to ask you to do it this way. If you want to send an instant message, you can do so. If it's AOL, send it to the Visigoth. That's spelled B-Y-Z-Y-G-O-T-H. If you're going to send it MSN to Visigoth. And if I couldn't make it any harder, if you want to send it via Yahoo, do so at Viz1400. You can send an email, as some have already done, to Visigoth at Hotmail.com. Uh, also, though, from the last time we spoke to you, some things have happened that, that may not be as new as they should be uh, since you were on, I guess, two months ago. But, Alan, you have a website, uh, and what can people find there? What is it, and how can they get there? It's uh, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and uh, there's a lot of free downloadable shows on the, the site there. And um, some of the books I'm selling, too, are up there. The prices are there. How to order them is there. And some also talks on, on CD as well. Uh, the website is uh, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Mm-hmm. And that is um, the title of the, uh, the three-volume series you did. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Uh, can you give people an idea of what they might find across those three volumes, a little highlight? Yeah, I don't go too deeply in, in, in them. They were initially written for a, a series I did on the shortwave radio um, beginning in 98. And I don't know how many shows we've done it's well over 140 maybe and uh, I went through the histories of of uh, the beginnings of what we call our civilization that's given to us in the ancient uh, world and how the, the creation of religion was, was came about how it was used on the people um, and how the priestcraft basically controlled the systems and I, I bring this up to speed right up to the present day and these three volumes were, were really a companion set to that uh, to help explain more, but but more so, I go into uh, any three books a form of deprogramming as you read them. Um, I show you things in symbol form and in writing form, and, and I try to get you to think as you're reading. Um, most books today are written in such a way that it puts you to sleep. <laughs> this is the way we're trained. You see, right. it's data, people, times, and historical dates. And, and that doesn't work. People don't retain it. So I tried to make them wake up and see these symbols, which are all around them all the time. They've grown up with them. I explain what they are. It's a language. And this language is actually programming you because your subconscious understands it. And you act on your subconscious motivation. Um, 
before we came on, I had a bit of an extensive exchange through Yahoo with a listener who ironically comes from an old, uh, my own hometown in, uh, in New Jersey. And I have to tell you, it's rare for anybody in the New York metropolitan area to get it. Because when you're around the major cities, I, I think you would agree, you are so absolutely enveloped by mainstream everything that you'll never hear like that shortwave broadcast that I did that made me say, is this guy nuts or should I check this out? Not you necessarily, I mean, but you know what, at the time whom I heard. That never would have happened in metropolitan areas. Being out here in the Florida outback, far enough away from Tampa, I heard that. So when I hear somebody from, from inside the New York metropolitan area who gets it, I'm really amazed. But what anyway, we, what we exchanged about, and we kind of like try to boil it down to the least common denominator, or the lowest common denominator, and that is, Alan, all the world is all about symbology and symbols, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a whole language. And as I say, your, your subconscious really does work in a, a, on language, just as your conscious mind sure. does. And it, when symbols are strung together in a certain way, and you're in a dreamy state, people, most people sort of dream their way through the day, you know, um, you're being programmed with these symbols, which will affect the way you behave in life. And it would be true also that, uh, would you agree that intelligent people, those who read and opinionate and take information, are probably most susceptible to being uh, manipulated? Definitely, especially if they have no idea uh, that information doesn't necessarily mean it's true. True, right. Because uh, many people truly believe that the media is there to do their thinking for them. And Zygmunt Brzezinski said they were bringing the public to that stage deliberately. Uh, where they will give over their ability to reason for themselves and expect the media to tell them everything that's important to them. Um, do you remember an author uh, who probably did most of his work back in the 60s by the name of Jacques Ellul? Oh, yes. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> well, he wrote, he wrote propaganda, what, I guess in 64 or 5. I encountered it 10 years later, you know, never thinking about what I do today. And one of the things that shocked me is when he said, oh, no, it's good, it's good for people to read because you've got to have them be able to take in information to propagandize them. That's right. Now, that seems like a duh now, but back then I was like, holy mackerel, that's right. Ignorant people are probably harder to get to. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he was very straightforward with the techniques and how it worked. Uh, and, and, and one last take on a little... Um, how about you? I really never knew what exactly he was all about. He seemed like a nominal Christian. I don't know. Um, but if, if you look back, can you give me your opinion on, uh, was he a good guy? Was he on our side? What do you think? I know that he was uh, consulted by governments, and I think even the United Nations consulted him on social psychology for mass social control. Well, that's not good. <laughs> Well, I think that answers my question. But he certainly said that uh, in one of his books on law and the legal system, he said that the public are unaware in the Western Hemisphere, um, including America, that since 1953, every citizen has a personality profile uh, kept on them by uh, the police. And he said, he said that at that time, of course, it was a Kardec system with punched holes. But they were updating uh, that in the 60s, the computerized systems. What, what he said was, he says, these are very com complete personality profiles. And he said the public must never be allowed to know how this information is gathered on them. All right. <laughs> 
So, I mean, oh, my Lord, yeah. So, so this whole bit about uh, encompassing surveillance and the lack of privacy, uh, as much as we're upset about it now, it's, it's been well in the works, hasn't it? It's been here forever, in fact. Yeah. In fact, I, I think when they gave us the bell telephone, that was part of the structure right away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, now moving on to uh, another person who enjoys listening to you. He's uh, written something a little bit more, I think, um, complex. He said, can, uh, can Mr. Watt talk about, quote, esoterically commanded structure of society leading to a scientifically designed social system? Can you break that down for us, first of all? Yeah, and... Um, it's esoteric in a sense that there's a, a, a hidden uh, group of controllers behind it. There's no doubt about that. Um, and there's also a different strata of scientists, specialized scientists, working on social control at all levels uh, and consulted all the time by different departments of governments. Um, they brought in the big PR firms early in the 60s to start to, to market ideas to the public directly from government. Can you name some names? Uh, well, I know that the one that was set up in uh, Madison was one of the first ones back in the early 1920s that started this whole idea of how to manipulate the behavior of the public uh, for advertising purposes through the advertising themselves. And then the uh, governments eventually used them. Did you, say ideas. Did you say Madison? I think it was Madison. Are you talking about Madison Avenue in Manhattan? Uh, yeah, I think the company was also called Madison. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the first company way back, you know. All right, now, this also is somewhat, uh, I, I think, um, akin to what you were talking to about uh, culture being plastic and manufactured. This is somewhat the same thing, isn't it? It, it is, absolutely. Uh, uh, when you have a, a long-term agenda um, and you're, you're, you've already got a culture created for one particular purpose, which is now over, you must change that culture to get into the next stage to, to, to accomplish that. So you, you always go towards the youth, and you, you go to them and uh, bypass the parents. You teach it in school, the culture. You, you, you market it to them through the music, uh, through the writings and magazines for the youth, and you give them heroes to follow that are superstars. And it's, it's very easy for the youth then to go in a new direction. They think it's their own, always. But it's already right. manipulated and planned by uh, very, very much older people themselves. All right, so we're looking at uh, the fact then that 24-7 TV and radio and videos and all forms of electronic entertainment that can be completely, you know, 360 in anyone's life. This is a good thing as far as the manipulators uh, wish because they can soak you all day long, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. So this whole thing about going 20, you know, I, I guess I'm really happy in a sense that I grew up in a, in a way where the test pattern came on at midnight. Oh, yeah. And, and didn't go off until like 8 o'clock and you had to watch some stupid show about like birds or something. Mm. And now it doesn't matter. These kids are like all absolutely inundated with this just about from the time they can uh, get, they come out of the womb. Yes, in fact, that they, were, they had write-ups where they first brought satellite out, satellite television out. They had um, write-ups from the big corporations stating that through this they could get to anyone on the planet now and, and create a common youth culture, again, through music uh, especially, and plays for the young or movies mm -hmm. for the young. 
so that even the Eskimo would have the same world culture broadcast to them as, as an Aboriginal in Australia. And that's been, that's been done. You can go from, from country to country to country, and you'll see the baggy pants, uh, you'll see the hat on backwards, uh, even in Japan. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to ask this right now. If we got some time at the end, I will. But going back to um, the statement that the uh, listener wrote, if I look at esoterically commanded structure of society, can we? Uh, is that equivalent to the elites? Uh, there's only, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Don Scott, who's, who's written a lot of uh, material. He's had world meetings with top-class scientists and virologists and bacteriologists about the, uh, the new release plagues, etc., that they've had in the last few years. Um, he's from Sudbury in Ontario. And I talked to him the other day, and he said that he had been bashing and bashing at the government for a few years over this, the spraying we're getting from the sky. Mm -hmm. And he got, his, he got his MP, his federal MP, uh, to go to Ottawa, the parliament, and demand answers from the, 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 the uh, Ministry of Defence as to why the spraying's going on. If you're a business owner and you've submitted your claim for the employee retention tax credit, be warned, the IRS is going after fraud. Your safest bet, hire a CPA firm that specializes in employee retention tax credits. That's why you should go to iHeartTaxRefunds.com. JWC Advisory CPA has helped thousands of companies here in Southern California and across the country with their ERTC refunds. Yeah, don't just get a check. The gold standard of success here is actually keeping your refund after an IRS audit. Go to iHeartTaxRefunds.com. As of July 1st, Metro's putting a cap on how much you pay for bus and rail. We're switching to a new way to pay fare that simplifies how you save. It's called fare capping. With fare capping, there's an automatic cap on how much you pay in a day and over a seven-day period. You'll never pay more than $5 a day and never pay more than $18 within seven days. After that, all your rides are free. Simply use your tap card, Apple Wallet, or download the tap app to take advantage of fare capping. Visit metro.net slash fare capping and tap for free rides. And, and the Ministry of Defense said they did not have to answer her. That wasn't necessarily a disavowal, was it? That's correct. But it also shows you that uh, we're, because she was oblivious to this new set of rules, uh, MPs are supposed to be representing the public. Mm. And, and here she's finding there's another structure that, that, that she isn't even allowed to get into. Above that. You know, that name is only familiar, and I don't, I'm not going to blow smoke, and that is, I believe... There was some email information that was was kind of voluminous back a couple of years ago that I think might have been attributed to Scott, and then it, it stopped happening. I'm just racking my brain here trying to remember that that name is familiar, and I want to say that I had, uh, you know encountered it, but somewhere along the line it stopped. Does that make any sense at all? I don't know. Um, I know he was in a few shows. He wrote a couple of books. Has he been silenced at all otherwise? Uh, no, he's pretty elderly. I mean, he's, he's not okay. the best of health. Okay. Uh, now, going on, it says a scientifically designed social system. Now, we've heard about this from a number of uh, directions, mm -hmm. but it does seem to me to be somewhat reminiscent of what probably Wells and Huxley wrote about, some stratified society where, uh, you know, those who do the wet work uh, can find their way through with Soma and, uh, you know, loving their servitude. What's your take on that? 
Well, on my site, I have his, his uh, speech that he gave. At Berkeley? At Berkeley, yeah. on my site, so it's, you can download that. Good. He, he talks about all that in there, and he, and he said, I don't see why. He said the, ro he said the reasons that the Roman Empire fell uh, was that they couldn't give the public enough bread and circuses. Mm. He said, but under a scientific dictatorship, uh, properly structured and financed, he said, I see no reason why it could not succeed uh, indefinitely. And yep. we have that today. Oh, without a doubt. And, and, but, you know, there's also a continuum mm -hmm. from, I guess, what, Galton and uh, Grandfather Huxley? Yes. And, you know, I mean, th this line of thinking, which is, I think, extremely, extremely fatalistic toward people like you and me. <laughs> yes. I mean, th this, is, this is really what they want. And, and so when we talked before... I guess uh, yesterday or so, uh, they they want they want more locks around to do the wet work, but they don't really want a whole lot, do they? Not a lot. No, they don't need a lot of people now, and they've written about it and talked about it too. I always find they publish um, so much material. It's just that the media doesn't make it a bestseller for the public to hear about. But it's always available. They want to vastly reduce the numbers of population, and. To be honest, I think they've been doing it. Uh, I don't think this, they're, they're always waiting for them to do a big thing at once, but they don't work that way. They do a little bit at a time, the Fabian way. And um, there's no doubt from the, from the 1950s onwards that the inoculations have almost destroyed so many people's um, ability to fight off any infection. These, these inoculations destroyed our immune systems. Uh -huh. And, and made us susceptible to to coming down and dying with, with things which shouldn't kill us. This was deliberate. So when they talked about this back in the 1920s in the League of Nations, they meant it. And they even thought then that they could do this through inoculations, mass inoculation programs. The chronic fatigue syndromes, mm -hmm. uh, the early arthritis now that's coming out, uh, rheumatoid arthritis in, in people in their early 20s and even below 20s. Um, these are autoimmune problems, um, uh, the Epstein-Barr virus, same thing. Uh, these make people ineligible as good marriage partners because they, they're, they're too sick and weak. No one, no one wants them. That's how they decided to bring down the West, to, to do it gradually. But for Africa, they decided that uh, mm -hmm. when we stand up for Africa, we can bring them down quickly. And that's been done, as we can see. Well, didn't they introduce AIDS there by way of supposedly injecting them with anti, um, yeah. with uh, uh, vaccines against uh, hepatitis B, I believe? Uh, yeah, and, and smallpox. And HIV? And, uh, but they, yeah, they did definitely. The, 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 the trail of, of the infection follows the exact route uh, from Haiti. They actually went to Haiti first. Uh, with, with that inoculation program then to Africa and you can follow the trail as they left behind them. Uh, there's no doubt this was deliberate. Yeah. Um, most of the listeners are anti-vaccinationists as well. Uh, have you ever read Eleanor, Eleanor McBean's The Poison Needle? No. All right, that's online. That's very interesting also. And she recounts that one as well that uh, she lived through the uh, 1918 flu, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And she said the only people that got sick were, got, were the ones that got vaccinated. Exactly. Yeah, and that she and her family did not get vaccinated, and they were actually ministering to people in their hometown who had fallen, and none of them got it. 
Yes, and when you go back into the... I mean, Britain has records of mandatory evacuations mm -hmm. beginning in the 1800s against diphtheria and then smallpox. And the, the records of their deaths uh, to those who were, were vaccinated are identical to the number who got vaccinated. Right. Uh, so this was obviously put in place uh, uh, deliberately. And uh, uh, we, we know that um, Britain definitely uh, was into this in the 1700s because Thomas Malthus came out with his essay on mm -hmm. population and how to uh, kill off the weak people or the useless eaters or the excess population, which they didn't need uh, after, because uh, they knew eventually that they would be post-industrial and they wanted to have a method to kill them off once their job was over. All right, now having said that, um, looking at what, what I, would you think uh, that what we're headed for uh, and, and what's looked for is a collective society where the individual means nothing but the group means all? That's what they've told for the public, but, but in Charlton, uh, Galton, Charles, um, Charles Galton, Galton Darwin's book, The Next Million Years, and he was a physicist, this guy, a uh, descendant of Charles Darwin, mm -hmm. and the 1950s, I think 56, he published that book. Uh, he, he went through the need to cull off the excess population and find ways of sterilizing the remainder um, and also ways of manipulating the brain itself chemically uh, so that they couldn't think independently of each other, uh, the collective, you might say. Uh, we can jump from there to Arthur Kessler or Kessler's book. Um, he's the same guy that did the 13th tribe. He wrote The Ghost in the Machine uh, while he worked for the United Nations. And The Ghost in the Machine... He worked in think tanks uh, whose job it was to find ways to lobotomize that part of the brain which uh, has your personal survival uh, capabilities built into it and it gives you a, the sense of who you are as an individual and they were trying ways of chemically attacking the brain through, through uh, chemicals, the vaccines that would carry bacterium there, viruses and so on. And he said they were successful in doing it in the trials so they were using people for trials, and he, and, um, he said the public won't need their, their personal defense capabilities because uh, they won't the have government will be making all their decisions sure. for them anyway. All right, so when you talk about chemical lobotomization, uh, yeah. could this also take the form of, of, of getting the same effect? Uh, through uh, radiation, uh, through, you know, TV. I mean, many ways to do it. And, and when you realize that the brain uptakes different chemicals, sometimes um, even even certain metals will, will gravitate to certain parts of the brain uh, where they're utilized or they'll, or they'll carry something with them. You, you can actually target those, those primary areas you're after very, very easily and uh, destroy the cells around them. And that's what they said they wanted to do. He, he wrote about it. And uh, he said, all we have to do now is decide whether to inoculate the people with it, put it in their drinking water, or, or spray it on them. And I, I thought, well, they're doing it all. That's right. Absolutely. What, what he also said, Charles Galton Darwin, was funny he, he, in this sense. He said, he says, we, the elite, must not alter ourselves. It's just because we must retain our ability right. for self-preservation because we shall be leading the earth and steering the future. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have to tell you, I heard you when you were on uh, Ghost to Ghost with Nore uh -huh. talking about the longevity 
of some of these elites uh, to include Rockefellers and Kissinger and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he might be using uh, contacts, although it doesn't seem anybody else's age is doing it. But when I look at Rockefeller, when he was giving speeches in the late uh, 90s, I'm like, this cat's not even, you know, he's not even wincing. That's right. <laughs> no glasses. This guy's just reeling it right off. And uh, and you and you made a, actually it was a very comical anecdote about Kissinger hopping out of a car, was it? That's right. That's right. <laughs> And he ran up the steps. And, of course, these people aren't getting, uh, if they should ever have cancer or anything like that, they're certainly not getting chemo or radiation or anything like that, are they? No, they're not. No. Um, well, uh, moving along, uh, you, you, you want to field another question? Yeah. Okay. It says, um, okay, this individual wants to know, um, you could check with him to see why the spin, mind control, hypno-TV, etc., is not working on us, and us, I would say, is those who get us, who get it. So, well, how come people like the, the listener and, and myself and all those who do shows and who, all those who listen, uh, how did we uh, stay free so far from this uh, manipulation? Well, I, I wondered a lot about that, and, and what I found, uh, just talking to so many people, were, was, was, was people who tended to be more aware of what was going on um, often had allergies, <laughs> and uh, they'd often, again, have problems with either bronchial problems, or they'd have uh, stomach problems, intestinal problems, and what you'll find with some people, because of their physiology, if you were to inoculate them with a particular substance that was to target the brain, uh, because of their physiological differences, they'll actually pull those particular viruses or bacterium to another organ. And I, that's one possibility that's happened mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. So the brain didn't get affected the same way. Mm-hmm. That every baby who gets inoculated um, uh, about the age of one and a half or two uh, goes home with a doctor saying, don't worry, they'll have a fever for two or three days, then they'll be fine. And the fever is concentrated generally in the head. And when you have fever and, and heat in the head, inflammation, you have inflammation in the brain. Mm-hmm. And cells are dying off. It's happening every day, and the mums are told this is normal. Right. And uh, I think that's part of the whole process. I, I really have gone that far that I really think that's part of the whole process. They didn't just write about it and pr- from mouth to onwards. They've been actually doing it. Um. I've got some more questions, and uh, that's why I'm in a little halting here. But I want to continue with the individual who did uh, pose a, uh, um, a number of questions. Uh, and let me ask you this, though, Alan. Were you, uh, were you vaccinated as a kid? I had some, but, but um, in fact, I did actually come down after the age of two, after inoculations with a, a, a asthma that lasted a few years, and then allergies, for sure, uh, uh, on and off. And um, uh, but intellectual-wise, I sort of soared through school without any problems. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. I don't know how nefarious they were when we were growing up. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure they weren't good. I, I just don't know. I'm sure they got worse as time went on, and uh, and became a real mainline source of uh, yeah. planting things in people that would uh, necessarily come to fruition later on, if you know what I mean. Well, a good example of that, I think, uh, is the sterilization of the male. Um, every now, in fact, the UN will be giving us their annual update on the sperm count in the Western male. Mm-hmm. And
time last year, uh, uh, they said that the Western male since 1950 uh, or 52 had had dropped uh, by 75 percent of of the live active sperm of the male of 1950. So so we're we're only um, about 25 percent fertile now. Um, they never give a reason for this, and yet every year they give us the, the data on it, the quotes, the statistics. Well, and really, it should be a crisis situation. But the reason it's not a crisis situation is because it's planned that way. Well, uh, we all know it's from wearing two tight jockeys. Yeah, right. <laughs> to warming up the old testicles. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are some other cultures who are, aren't getting the message and are proliferating quite well, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, be that as it may, and also, Corky, I got your email, and I will post this question to Alan. But we'll go on with the, uh, the person to whom, uh, uh, from whom we've gotten these questions, and uh, there's a couple others there. Um, do you want to comment on the science and physics of reality, uh, holography, as in the Blue Beam, uh, Blue Beam Project. How do, you, uh, do you know anything about that, Alan? Yeah, I do know about it. I know that they, they can uh, uh, actually create anything at all in the sky. Um, I know back about 99, I was out walking with someone late at night, um, and I looked up, and I saw what I thought was a northern light start up. And for 25 minutes, we watched a form, a figure form, uh, which doesn't happen with the northern lights. They all came to one point, and you could swear they were they had wings. And mm -hmm. I, I thought this is incredible. Uh, that's some kind of holography or science going on here, using the ionosphere. And uh, two or three nights later, a man from Ontario phoned in the Art Bell show. Now Art Bell's had uh, nights when he's had different people claiming to be Satan on. Yep. Um, he's had a hole in the ground where, where the voices of hell shot up from. That's right. But this guy phoned in and he said, I saw a figure appear in the sky that I thought was the Northern Lights. And Art Bell immediately cut him off and said, this is crazy. Yep. Why, why didn't you allow him to say what... Because there's no crazier than anything else that was said on that show. Oh, of course. And, and, of course, they don't want us to know that they, they can experiment and do this with the ionosphere. And with the HARP technology, coupled to satellites, they can, they can make anything appear in the sky. Yeah. Well, you know, Bell to me, is a government plant. I'm sorry, so is Nori. That show's there to, to, to go with the, with the bottom line. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to ask you about how comfortable you were there, but uh, I'm going to take it that, yeah, you, you get it, too. Mm -hmm. oh, I, I mean, the whole, see, I know that the, the, what you do, and intelligence gatherers gather the intelligence that the public are finding out mm -hmm. about and discussing. Counterintelligence takes that, gives you superheroes to follow who are shot to the top. Everybody gets to know their names. They say all the right things that are being said at the bottom. They say the intelligence, but then they add to it aliens or reptilian people and spin it off into business. Yeah. And that's how you counter intelligence. You know, uh, I, I wanted to listen to, uh, and I don't want to spend a lot of time with this, but I, I listened to that show one night after they had a 9-11 researcher on, and I, I just got it wrong. I got on the, the next night. I, I didn't hear the researcher. But I heard these poor simps that came on, and they really did believe there was something to it, as well they should, but, but they go to the altar of Nore or Bell, and they kind of ask questions where they want to be told, you know, it really doesn't exist. And so they'll talk about, well, isn't it crazy, George, that a, that a plane didn't go into the Pentagon? 
And he goes, yeah, well, you know. And then they go off to uh, Shadow Rodents and Flying Rods. Yes. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> what are we talking about here? You'll look at what is real, and you'll supplant it with the unreal. Yes. Ah. When you mix fact with fantasy, everything becomes unreal. And, and it's diffused then. It's, it's, it's safe, it's harmless then, because it's just too confusing. Well, of course. And, and, but, you know, we all know the children's fairy tale, which I wonder, you know, whoever wrote that, about the emperor's new clothes. Yeah. It, you know, there weren't any, but they were told they were. Mm-hmm. And then I look at 9-11 with, with the Pentagon and Shanksville. There's nothing there, folks. Mm-hmm. And, and so why do you replace what's real and tangible with what you're being told? Yes. You know, and, and somebody uh, messaged me and said, you know, uh, and I said, I understand. You know, good people don't think that, that the government would do this or the time has come where we've been turned on. And I understand that. But in the face of, of, of asking questions and having people think, don't get upset, you know, if you're being, well, like, like Plato said, if you're being pulled out of the cave to look at that which really is. Yes. Which, by the way, is kind of interesting he wrote that, because he doesn't seem like anybody who would want to pull anybody out of a cave. Yeah, he, he was actually explaining how the public are. They're kept in a... They're given a version of reality is indoctrinated into them. And even if someone were to find out the truth and go back into the cave and say, you know, there's a real world out there, uh, they wouldn't believe him. Yep. And well, so he was, he was showing <laughs> the, the techniques of mind control right. of society. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's painful to show people the way things really are, and it can and actually it can cost you your life. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, I'm going to get to uh, uh, Corky's question here, and I'll go back to the original emailer, uh, who has about two more. Uh, it says, does Mr. Watt have any comments? And I have nothing about this, so it's all on you. Not that you need me. Uh, Rene, uh, about Rene Guénon and other traditionals, uh, traditionalists, that would be Shuan, uh, Ebola, etc. Uh, any take on that? Uh, on Ebola? Uh, Ebola. No, these are individuals. Ebola. Uh, Shuan and Rene Guénon. Does that ring a bell at all? It does. Um, but most of these characters in history at that period of time were all, once again, Freemasons. Um well-versed in the psychology of humanity and all put out there for, for to give certain views so the, pub, the public would follow them along a certain path. Again, part of culture creation, really. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, Because that's what they give us. Most of the public will always follow someone they perceive as being more intelligent and a leader who says the things they want to hear. Um, unfortunately, we never question any other motive behind it and generally uh, get laid up the garden path. So I can't really go any further with their particular agendas. All right. Uh, I, I'm completely ignorant of this. Uh, not a, it's not unusual, but uh, do we have a time frame for these individuals, more or less? Um, I, th- I think they're talking more in the 1800s, aren't they? Uh, you got me. I, like I said, this is, you know, this is out of my purview, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. All right, well, it's something yeah, I'll definitely look into. And so, Corky, thanks very much for passing that along. If it wasn't satisfactory, we, uh, yeah. I apologize, but that's okay. Uh, moving along, uh, going back to that original email, and it's going to get good here, and that is um, what is going on uh, with <laughs> Denver International Airport, which is really truly named New World Airport, with the murals that are around everybody, though few see them. Uh, your take on that, Alan? Yeah, they put so much into that 
the, the building alone, never mind all of the architecture and paintings and frescoes. And of course, they have all their occultic, Masonic uh, symbology in the, the paintings, right down to the children all following the, the leader, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that it's, it's there because there's going to be a new capital of the Americas somewhere one day. Well, you know, we did talk about that, and um, obviously they badly want to um, create an American Union uh, as extensive, perhaps, as the 34 countries in the Western Hemisphere. Obviously, I don't know, have you read uh, that white paper, uh, re- uh, Building a North American Community? Uh, yeah, but, but I know that in the free trade negotiations in the late 80s, um, they had discussed... Uh, actually setting up a new parliament for the Americas, a new, a new capital for the Americas, mm-hmm. um, like the Brussels of the Americas, mm-hmm. and it would be in Montreal that they're going to build it. That's what they've chosen. Hmm. Well, that'll be interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the reason I thought Denver, well, something's going on in Denver. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. And, uh, and you subscribe also to the fact that, as Orwell tipped us off about, you know, low those 60 years ago, that um, boring machines were available and they've probably been at work for quite some time. Uh, do you want to posit um, uh, a yeah. thought about why, what they're doing and why they're doing it? Um, there are connections between some major cities underground. There's no doubt about that. These boring machines even have been in the popular science magazine at times. And the Rand Corporation are the ones who own these machines. They've never really been fully explained to the public um, as to how they can operate. And the obvious questions are never asked by the, the reporters on them. Of course not. Because it's really... See, there are three levels of, of reality at work at all times. One for the public, and that's from professorship down. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you're a professor of, you're getting low-level reality. And there's another one above that separate again, and, and another one above that. Uh, it's like Nick Big is showing us the mind control machines that the CIA had, which were about the size of a TV uh, handheld converter, uh, that are now obsolete, and they were used back in the 1950s, and they were solid state before the transistor came out. So, um, so yeah, with these boring machines, they, they, they claim they can go through any kind of rock and go 24 hours at a time and keep going um, at, at at least 5 miles per hour regardless of the density of the rock they melt the rock around it and then it petrifies behind forming almost like a, a concrete casing in the tunnel now what kind of metal alloy do we have knowledge of that can withhold uh, can stand that kind of heat mm-hmm. because it's beyond what we're given you see and, of course, it's the same kind of, of metals that they use with their experimental flying saucers from, from Area 51. The same uh, uh, incredible alloys that the public will never, ever hear about. Um, it's all made here on Earth. Well, I'm going to tease myself and leave this for uh, an entree into uh, uh, Thursday on the, uh, the 25th, that would be. That would be uh, with what I'm going to say next, but I don't want to do it in the last couple of minutes. I would like to continue, though, and, and somebody asked me once, um, in fact, earlier today, um, how I ever, you know, understood that something went bump in the night. And they said, was it 9-11? I said, no, nah, I was long before that, uh, you know, around 2000. But, but talking about what's out there and available, uh, and you and I had talked also about uh, Orwell's 
that section in Orwell's book where, I mean, he just jam-packs it with pretty much the way things are or the shape of things to come. And what I did was I had done a graduate project, and this is what opened my eyes to the fact that so many of the science fiction writers didn't seem to be writing science fiction. Because mm-hmm. whatever they said came true, were they that prescient? I don't think so. It was nice. It's well documented if you go into the, the... The foundations are so important in all of this because it was through the so-called philanthropic uh, foundations that they said they would steer the world. And ah, yes. The Rothschilds of England set up uh, a huge fund for novelists and, and uh, writers of plays for the stage. Um, to to actually incorporate certain lines along their stories to do with uh, space travel, uh, early science fiction, that kind of thing. They paid them to do that. These funds still stand, by the way. And uh, what is it's called it's part of predictive programming. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they give you an idea through fiction when your guard is down. You're not censoring it or really critically thinking about anything. Uh, you're being entertained. And what's really happening is you're being downloaded with an idea of a pos- or a possibility, and and so when the thing comes along, uh, rather than say, wait a minute, why are they spending billions of dollars to, to, to go out into space with a, a we think is part of a natural progression, uh, because we've already been familiarized with it in a in a fictional way, and the, the big early science fiction writers who came out. Um, were all funded by these groups. They called them futurist societies. Mm-hmm. And the novelists who are willing to take the money attend these futurist societies. And then spokesmen will come out from the big boys who fund them and offer the grants uh, as long as they go along uh, and incorporate oh. certain things in their stories. That's another thing we'll do in this, uh, the next time around. That's all about the foundations. You're absolutely right. Now, I'm going to end with this. Did you ever watch The X-Files? I think I only saw one. Well... I realize now, looking back across the times that uh, my wife and I watched it, and I watched it before I knew that things were really happening. But one thing that I thought they did was, and remember, this is a Murdoch station, and uh, Chris Carter already admits that he had dealings with the CIA and such. But one of the things I thought was stupid about the X-Files is that their characters would exude black oil from their orifices and eye, and eye holes. Well, have you heard about this Morgellon disease? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So, and here's a quote. Sometimes little backs, black specks come out of the lesions. <laughs> and now I'm starting to wonder. And that's what happens with Ebola and with the Spanish flu. Those were the symptoms of the Spanish flu, uh, where you, you would actually have a very dark congealed blood start to come out of the eyelids right. and the nostrils and so on. Yeah. Well, you can understand why I'm thinking that we've been, pro- we've been programmed or at least prepared for the black oil that can pop it out of our uh, body, so to speak. Yes. All right. Um, so, anyway, we'll get into this more. Uh, Alan, listen, thanks so much for coming on, and we hope, uh, you know, we can pick this thing up in another week or so. That's just a pleasure. All right. God bless you. You too. All right. Good night.